Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back for another episode. If not now, when? Today, such an honor, guys! I am so beyond excited to introduce you today's guest. His name is Seth Shwata, and he's so cool. Not only because his name is so cool, but also <laughs> he is a PhD in human factor psychology. He holds so many U.S. patents I could not count in one hand. He also is UX designer. Who focus on user empathy, and with passion to food. Today he is a founder of Manuat with a full first philosophy. And guys, I'm not done yet. He also is a nonprofit leader, Nepal Rising,、uh, with a goal to foster community resilience in no- local Nepali community. Wow, guys, this is such an incredible, incredible honor. Ah,、uh, please join me to welcome Saf. Hi, Saf. Hey, Wen. Thank you for having me on your show. It's an honor to be here and to talk to you and to、uh, connect with your audience as well. Yeah. And、uh, you said my name very, very well. So thank you for that as well. <laughs> I practice. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Saf. You know, your your journey was so fascinating. So, take us back then. How do you? How do you accomplish so much things? This is incredible. Tell us how even everything got started. So first of all, I want to level set and say I'm a very average person. I would say, right? <laughs> I I had a very、uh, humble upbringing in Nepal.、Uh, I was born and raised in Kathmandu, Nepal.、Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and、um, you know, I moved here、uh, on April twenty second, nineteen ninety eight. That's when I moved here. I moved here、wow. for my undergrad. Yeah. You remember it to exact、um, day, huh? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I'm sure you do as well, right? <laughs> Because that's like a special day when special you know you day. you 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 get out from your comfort zone and then you、mm-hmm. you you know face the world, explore you know what are the possibilities out there for you,、mm-hmm. and、uh, you know that's a special day. So I remember that. <laughs> so I came here. Um, uh, I, I first landed in Boston, um, but I went to school in Pennsylvania, a small liberal arts school.、Mm-hmm. Um, after getting my undergrad in psychology,、um, you know, I, I I wanted to figure out like what I wanted to do, right?、Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time,、uh, this field of human factors, you know, was not as popular. You know, they call it UX, UX design, research,、mm-hmm. all that wasn't as popular or you know mainstream as it is today. So I also, you know, since when I was a you know little kid, I always had this affinity towards like technology, right?、Mm-hmm. But in Nepal, back in the day, obviously, you know, there wasn't much technology.、Um, you know, we barely started getting computers back in 1998. You know, when I left, so I hadn't even like you know、um, comfortably you know been around computers or learned it、uh, very well. And internet had just come out、uh, back back then in Nepal, at least.、Um, So when I came to Boston, you know, I got exposed to, you know, all these computers and had access to computers. You know,、um, there was Windows ninety five, nineteen ninety five, ninety five, Windows ninety five back then.、Um, you know, so I got exposed to that. So I, I started、uh, being passionate about technology as well. But human behavior has always been at the very center of,、uh, you know, what I'm passionate about, and、Why? I wanted to learn it. And Um, because it fascinates me,、um, you know, especially social psychology.、Uh, you know why people do certain things.、Uh, you know why people behave in a certain way. Why people react in a certain way. That's always been, you know,、uh, something of a curiosity to me, right?、Uh, 
Um, and it's these human behaviors that builds up uh, societies, that builds up communities, that that uh, that determines our decisions, uh, that determines the paths we take in life, right? So it's always been fascinating to me. So that's why I, I started psychology. Um, so when I graduated, I had the, you know, I had this dilemma in my head, you know, whether I want to pursue um, clinical psychology, you know, that's the only psychology knew, I knew at that time, mm-hmm. or, you know, I wanted to pursue something to do with technology, with computers. So I was like, there has to be something, you know, that combines these two fields together, right? And even now, actually, when I when I tell people, hey, I have a degree in psychology, they automatically assume that I'm a clinical psychologist like Dr. Phil or something, right? Um, <laughs> and, and, and back then, you know, that was the same for me. I did not know that there was this field called human factor psychology that existed, which is also known as engineering psychology. So let me tell mm-hmm. you just a little bit about it, right? What it is yes, is please. that you you know, these companies and everybody, you know, we design products, right? Um, But we have to remember that whenever we're designing something, whether that be a hardware or a software, that product is designed for people to use, right? It's the people, Mm -hmm. it's the end user who uses that. So psychology is just a method of gathering data, understanding your users, making sense of that data and applying that in your design decisions. Right. So that's how psychology and engineering is so related, is that you can only design things that's really good or really useful, usable, we, we, we call it, right, for the users when you understand your users. That's where the psychology comes in, in design and engineering. Right. So I was just searching, you know, psychology plus technology careers. And then this lab comes up called Software Usability Research Lab, S-U-R-L. And uh, this is this lab was housed inside a university in Kansas, Wichita State University. So I decided, all right, that's where I'm going to go. So I applied. That was the only program I applied to. Um, and I got in. Um, and I was there between uh, 2003 and I got out. I, I uh, got out uh, of Wichita in 2009. So 2009, you know, I was already, uh, we had a graduate from our program from Sorrel. Uh, who was working at Dell, and he was already passing along some work, you know, to our lab. Uh, and I was already involved in some of the projects at Dell. So, you know, it made sense for me to come to Austin, you know, for my internship. So I came here 2009 for my internship. Um, you know, I had a really great time, met like a lot of awesome people. Um, and then 2000, you know, end of 2009, I went back, you know, to work on my dissertation. So I worked some more on my dissertation. 2010, I came back to Dell, back to Dell, different group though i came back to the enterprise group that makes servers and chassis and storage and networking and all the complicated it admin stuff and i love the complexity here right um and uh within a year you know i was i, I hadn't finished my dissertation uh within a year i uh, you know uh, finished analyzing data wrote up the paper went back presented defended my di- dissertation and then came back here again um you know to you know to continue my full-time job at dell so that's like a brief introduction of the journey from Nepal uh, to to Austin, Texas, where I am right now. But I want to. That's that's beautiful. Thank you, thank you. So I want to take you, uh, you know, in, in another journey where you know where um, you know I've thought about doing other things other than uh, just my daytime job, right? And this is the this is the premise for it. It's like you know um, I can work nine to five, you know, and come home and you know, watch Netflix and spend time with family and, 
you know, all that. Um, or I could do something else, something more as well, right? For some reason, I, I you know, completing Can my... Can you tell me why? Yeah. Let me tell you more about that. Yeah. Is it deep down? You just have that calling? You just view it? What What was that that pulled you forward that you want more? Yeah, because, like, for some reason, like, I, I feel like, you know, and I still feel like um, I haven't accomplished much in my life, you know? I am still very underaccomplished. Um, and I'm always, like, trying to um, prove myself that I can do more, you know, and I am meant for much more than just working nine to five, coming back home, watching Netflix and going back to bed and rinse and repeat every day, what? right? I want to do something more. I'm, I want to do curious. something more exciting. Um, I'm curious, sorry, how, what drives yeah. you? What, what motivates you? I think it's, it's this, you know, uh, this dissatisfaction I have, or, or I wouldn't say dissatisfaction. It's like not fully satisfied, you know, that feeling that mm -hmm. I have, right? that wants mm -hmm. me to do more. And then I always like a new challenge. Um, not like, you know, my, my, my work at Dell is not challenging. It's, it's plenty challenging. But I want something to call my own, right? The, the projects mm -hmm. that I work at Dell, even though I love working at Dell, and it's a great company, um, they are not completely controlled by what I want them to be, right? Uh, I may have, you know, uh, I may have this passion about research and design in, in that context, but I wanted something to create, to call my own, to have my mm -hmm. own decisions, to lead my own team and to, you know, give birth to something that's out in the market mm -hmm. that is, in, you know, immensely useful for people, that solves people's problems, right? That's what So you want me. to make a world, you want to make an impact to the world that truly absolutely, is yours, absolutely. your own mark. Absolutely. That's so beautiful. Okay, so take us back. So that moment you have that desire. And what, what, what happened from there? So, you know, uh, Menuet is actually not the first project that, uh, you know, I, I've been involved in. So when I started here at Dell, you know, I met a lot of very talented um, and extremely smart people, right? So, you know, we were just talking about, you know, different problems in the world and how we can solve it. Because I truly believe that, you know, any problem that there is, right, uh, there is a solution to that. And we were trying to see, you know, what problems there are that can be solved through technology. So two of my friends and I got together and we created this uh, prototype of this app called Trades. You know, and the idea behind Trades was that, <clears throat> um, you know, um, there are gamers out there, right? Or people who want to exchange things. So what usually happens today uh, with games and let's say with books for, you know, two of the examples that I want to give you is that you buy a game, you play the game, and then, you know, you go back to GameStop and you sell that game. And GameStop will give you very little money for that used game, right, that you're selling. And then, you know, uh, GameStop will take that same game and sell it to somebody else for a huge amount of profit. And their profit is about 25 to $30 million per quarter, right? That's the profit oh, that wow. I'm talking about. So we wanted to see, you know, how we could actually help the gamers get the games for much cheaper. So what this app, what this app did was it created two things for each person. One is their wish list and the other is their inventory. Wish list is the stuff that they want to get. Inventory is the stuff that they want to get rid of. So if we match people, you know, who want to get rid of the game and they have the game that I want, then they get they get matched and then they can talk, you know, they can figure out how to do the transaction and all that. So, so you want to create a marketplace that 
take away the arbitrage in between, uh, create that transparency in different players, and exactly. that so, facilitate exactly. that transaction more fairly. Exactly, right? And same thing with uh, books as well. When I was you know, in college, you know, you have to buy these books from the bookstore, and then when you go and yeah, sell it, so it's like so expensive. And then guess what? They give you like, you know, like not even 5% of the cost you paid, and then they'll sell the same book to another person who's taking that class next semester, for like, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of profit, right? So we wanted to kind of mm -hmm. do something to disrupt that. But here's the problem. When <laughs> you have a lot of decision makers in the same project, you know, the people have varying opinion and people may have strong opinions as to like what the direction of a product should be, right? So it kind of didn't work out in that sense. Um, so I, I realized at that time. You mean that having a, do you mean that when you start up um, that idea because so many, um, sort of multiple folks in one project and it's hard to make everyone happy, therefore. Yeah, so if you have multiple, if you have multiple founders, you know, with equal say and they don't have a focus mm -hmm. on multiple different areas, like for example, mm -hmm. if you have one person focusing on marketing aspect of it, another person focusing on the technology aspect of it, another person focusing on the design aspect of it, you know, if you have that mm -hmm. variability within the team, then it's good. But if you have everybody mm -hmm. who is, you know, um, who is an expert in design or research, right? Then they have like, they may have conflicting opinions and the project mm -hmm. doesn't move forward as smoothly as you would want it to, right? So then- So Tom, so many, too many cooks in one kitchen. <laughs> right, right. Too many cooks with the same exact skill in one kitchen, I would say. Mm. Too many cooks with, yes, with different and... skills, it doesn't, you know, it's a good thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But with the same, and I wanted to, you know, yes. thank you for sharing that. I think uh, for folks who are listening today, you know, maybe they are startups, they are entrepreneurs who are thinking about starting a new next venture, and that would be a great lesson for them to also learn and pass on as well. Yeah. So thank so, you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. And and I came across this one saying, you know, uh, that it, you know, I don't know who where I came across, but I I read this and it said, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Right. And now, Interesting. now this is not so this is this thing is not a mutually exclusive kind of a thing. And I'll explain why, you know, it's yes, not like please. either or it's, you know, so what I needed to do, this is what I needed to do. If I had an idea, right, and I wanted to move forward quickly to a certain point, then I would use the first uh, part of it, which is if you want to move quick, go alone. So what mm -hmm. I did is that with Manuet, and, and I can talk about Manuet in a little bit more detail. Uh, with Manuet, what I did is, you know, I came up with this idea. I started sketching. I started designing. And then I took it to a certain point that I needed to take it to, right? So that part is the first part, which is if you want to go fast, go alone. So I went alone to take the project forward to a certain stable point, right? flush out the idea, what I want it to be. Of course, I mean, I, I consulted my friends, you know, consulted other people, potential users and all that, but the decision was my own, right? Whatever, if, if, if the decision was a right decision, it would be my decision. If the decision was a wrong decision, it would be my decision, right? But I, would, I was able to move quickly, you know, make those decisions really quickly and not have endless arguments about, you know, certain features or certain uh, way of designing and presenting the UI and all that, right? So I could move really fast up to that, to that point. Now, from how, that point on, I needed to go how, far. I needed other people involved. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, uh, this is beautiful. How do you know when was that right point? 
to decide yeah. to move forward with multiple different folks. Yeah, that's a good yourself. that's a good question. So the point when you know, you know, when you cannot take it forward anymore is I know my skill set. I am not a coder. I do not code. You know, I design, I think of a problem, I can break down the problem, I can solve that problem through design. But at some point that has to be coded. So Menuit is an iOS app today, right? It's a iOS native app. Um, so mm -hmm. after I finished the design, I needed help to get this coded, you know? So that's the point when I needed to bring in other people, other folks into the mix, right? So this is what I did. So what I did is that um, I did not want to find co-founders here in Austin or in the U.S. because usually what that means, finding a co-founder in this, you know, in the U.S. means that they they kind of already have another job, so they already have other major responsibilities, like maybe my friends who work at Dell and stuff like that, or you know, they're expensive, very expensive. And this is a bootstrap project. You know, I funded this entire thing on my own, right? So I couldn't, you know, shell out like thousands, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to make this app. And I actually went and consulted with a local agency here. Um, and I asked for a quote, you know, to make an app, you know, that does all of these with all of these features. And they quoted me close to $300,000, right? So which would mean that I would either have to sacrifice on quality, right, to make a subpar app, subpar experience, or I would have to find a VC, you know, who would want to fund this idea. And then, you know, the... Uh, the timeline of the project, the feature of the project might not be, I may not be in control over that, right? So I didn't want either of those. I did not want to compromise on quality and I didn't want to, you know, not have control over my project by finding a VC, right? So what, what is my option? My option is this. Luckily, I'm from Nepal, right? So I speak the language very fluently and I also had some connections in Nepal, you know, who owned people who owned IT company. And I can tell you about how I made those connections. So, you know, I called this, you know, this person up and I said, hey, I need to make an app, you know, give me an estimate of like, you know, how much this something like this is going to cost. And does your company even do this? And they're like, yeah, yeah, of course we can do it. You know, we, 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 may, we can make apps. So I was like, great. Um, but what I wanted to do, right, is that I wanted um, the, the developers in Nepal, right, who I ended up hiring, um, to have some guidance from here, from the U.S. Because I'll tell you this, the talent in Nepal is, is immense. It's amazing talent, very talented people there, right? Um, but the work that, the, the, the kind of work that they do is not like, it doesn't have the finish to it, right? It doesn't have that polish to it. So there's like rough, rough edges. It's cheap, you know, it's cheaper to design, the, I mean, develop there, but, it's, um, you know, you need to provide a lot more guidance to them to polish it, right? To write the code, to write cleaner code, to write more efficient code and all that. So the strategy that I came up with is I talked to a few of my friends here and I told them, hey, all right, I have this project, you know, I would love for you to be involved in this. And your involvement would not mean that, you know, you would sit down and code every day, you know, and that would be so much burdensome to you. But we have a bunch of coders, you know, that we've hired. And all you have to do is you have to spend some time, provide guidance to them, right? And that was a perfect thing because now my friends here, you know, uh, who are much skilled, uh, don't have to spend a lot of time writing the code, sitting down and writing the code. But at the same time, you know, I can use them, you know, I can leverage their skills and their talent to provide guidance to the people in Nepal. Mm -hmm. So it's like a win-win. So you get the best... 
part of the world. Exactly. So it's a win-win for everybody. Let me tell you how. So for my friends, they want to be involved in a project, right? And they have an opportunity to be involved in a project and to take a leadership role in the project so they can guide other people under them, right, um, to code. Win-win for me because I'm getting to develop the app for really cheap, right? Uh, well, comparatively cheap. Um, at the same time, I'm not sacrificing on quality and I'm not like, you know, compromising, um, you know, not having control over my product, right, by getting VC. And it's a win-win for the team in Nepal as well because they're getting to learn so much. They're getting to polish their talent so much and they're getting better at coding and, the, you know, uh, um, you know, doing, you're making an app in a, in a, in a, in a robust way, right? So it's a win-win for everybody and it worked. Um, that is... That's so incredible, Seth. And up to this point, I just, you know, what I love most about your story is, Seth, you're such a problem solver. I feel that along the way, one, one problem after another, you just based on the head on and able to pick the learnings, pick up the learning from the first experience. And then now, just, you know, the second round, when you found Manuat, you're able to really leverage your strengths and then um, put the best foot forward um, with the better and you know amazing leadership going forward. Yes, thank you. And yeah, and these I, are you know these these are opportunities, right? These are I wouldn't really call them problems. These are opportunities for us to innovate, for us to find a solution, right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, a problem like you are describing, right, is a mystery, right? There is a solution to it. There is there is a <laughs> way you can you can tackle it and you can solve it, right? Um, and it's always like yes. a challenge for me. And I find that's if there were no challenges, if there were no problems in doing this, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be interested in doing this. Right. I was going to say, are you get excited when there's a challenge? Yeah, absolutely. I, I can sense that. Absolutely. <laughs> Why? What, what made you excited? Tell us because, more. Because oftentimes you're like when problem come out, I was like, oh, my God, it's not a problem. How are you able to be so excited and go to what want to solve that? Because it makes me think. Right. Because it makes me, um, you know, think, stretch my imagination, try and um, learn from that, right? Um, mm -hmm. And that's the important thing is that every problem that you face um, mm -hmm. is something that teaches you something, right? And next time yeah, you face something a... like that, you know, then you know exactly how to tackle it, how to solve it. Right? So mm -hmm. there's a saying that I heard is every, every uh, challenges was a blessing. On the other hand, if you can really look at it that way. Yeah, I mean, I, granted, I want things to go smoothly, you know, but um, a challenge is, is interesting because, you know, whenever you mm -hmm. have a, something, a challenging situation that gives you an opportunity to learn from it, gives you an opportunity to mm -hmm. think, gives you an opportunity to, to see how you can solve it, right? And that's the fun part. It's like for sure. putting together a puzzle, right? You get a puzzle. If the puzzle were already <laughs> put together for you, there's no challenge in that, right? The since it's not put together and you have to figure out which pieces go where, that gets you excited. That should get you excited. That should get you intriguing, intrigued. Um, yes. <clears throat> so back to your story, Seth. So now you have amazing team and man you add. You have great leadership. You're moving forward. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit more about Manuel, first of all, before we dive into the, your vision for the company. Yeah, so I'll tell you. For people who are might not. Yeah. yeah. So I'll tell you, you know, where we are with the project. So, you know, I, I, I completely agree uh, that this project is moving uh, a little bit slower than I would have expected, right? But at the same time, um, I, I'm, I'm not really, uh, you know, running a sprint. You know, this is a marathon. This is a long run thing. I'm not, 
doing this project for like six months and trying to see, you know, if uh, I can beat somebody to the market. None of that, right? I want to provide a value to the so users. what's your vision? What's your goal? Um, my, my goal is to, um, ult- you know, ultimately to provide value to the users and to solve a problem that exists today um, in, a, in a very elegant way, right? That's my vision. Can you tell us a bit more about, about that? Like, because for folks who are not familiar with manual, yeah. don't know what problem or what function yeah. is that offer. So, yeah, yeah, I'll explain. Um, so Menuet is about food, right? I love food, um, you know, yes. and I and I and I've you know found that myself and you know other people have found people struggling uh, to figure out what to eat, right? The question is, what should I eat today? Um, <laughs> you know, and and you know there are solutions out there in the market, so you can you know go to Yelp and look at all the reviews and stuff, and and read all those mm-hmm. reviews. You can search for a restaurant, right? So if you search for like, uh, let's say taco, you know, you'll probably get mm-hmm. like results like Taco Bell because like right here, uh, or Taco mm-hmm. More or other taco places with the name taco in the restaurant name, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you could do a Google search um, and it will do something similar to you, right? Show you all the restaurants near you, show you the stars, you know, the rating and all that. Um, you could also go to Instagram. Um, you know, you have, you, you may follow certain food bloggers in town, you know, you go to Instagram and then they have all these posts and stuff, you know, but the posts are not uh, organized by your location or you cannot even search, right? Their posts, you cannot search by a specific type of food or even a restaurant for that matter, right? So you, what you have to do on in, in, in Instagram is you have to like save them, bookmark them and create different folders for like different types of food and all that, right? So there's a lot of work involved. Right. Also, you can uh, uh, go and read you know all these food bloggers blogs and stuff and keep your own notebook about like where you should go eat and all that right so it's like saying you know you could memorize the entire web and you would not need google (laughs) no it it really is that you if you memorize the entire web and what all has you know all the websites have you don't need to use google what's the point you know it all right but the fact is people don't know it all and that's why google exists so that you can search for it right so Menuet, the whole idea about Menuet is exactly the same. You could find food, what to eat, the best dishes you want to have, go to the best restaurants. You can do a lot of homework, spend a lot of time doing that. And in fact, uh, you know, research, I found some research that showed that I don't know how old this research is, but it showed that, you know, people spend like between seven to 10 days a year trying to figure out what to eat, just figuring out what to eat, not eating. I 100%, 100% agree with that. Um, I'm, I probably one of those people when back in the time when my husband and I were remote and right before he coming home for the weekend, uh, for the long weekend, I would spend hours, if not four or five hours on the couch, find the best restaurant for that day and the entire weekend for us to go out to. That's truly 100% my passion yeah. back in the day. So I, I believe that research. Yeah. So, you know, what ends up happening, unfortunately, is that two things. One is that, you know, people fight over where they want to go, what they want to eat, right? And they can't decide. They're like, oh, no, it's like picking a movie on Netflix. It takes a while. Um, or, you know, they end up going back to the same place that they've been before and ordering the same thing yes. that they had ordered before, right? That's what ends up happening. Or they yes. go to like McDonald's because it's like right around the corner and open all the time. Right? <laughs> so, yeah, it's a real problem. So, okay, right? tell us. It's a real problem. So I wanted to solve that. So I wanted to see what what are really people looking for, right? When when they go to restaurants, and many people have different uh, 
you know, motivations to go go out and eat. Socializing is one of them, obviously, right? The ambience and all that, you know, makes sense as well. Um, so that's why restaurant is kind of like important. But what's more important, number one priority when you go to a restaurant is food, right? And this app is really for people who um, um, who appreciate good food, right? The idea is this. So with Yelp and Google and all that, you're searching for a restaurant. With Menuet, you are searching for a dish, any dish, right? So you search for taco, all the best taco dishes will come up for you. Another difference with Yelp and Google, it might show you a four-star restaurant, it might show you a two-star restaurant. On Menuet, if there is any dish on Menuet that we have listed, we know that dish is a good dish. It's a highly rated dish. That's why we don't have a rating. There is no negative rating on Menuet. There is no one star in on Menuet. If you see something on Menuet, it's good. The only difference is that you may like that food or you may not like that food. For example, if you don't like chicken, doesn't matter how awesome this chicken dish is, you still are not going to like it, right? So it's a matter of preference. It's a, it's a very subjective thing. So what we, so what's Marriott today and what, what's your vision so of tomorrow? What, what Menuet does today, right, is you can search for a dish, right, and then it will show you though, that specific dish by where you are located. That's the most important thing, by where you are located. So if I'm searching for like, you know, and I can be as, as specific as a dish or as broad as a category. So I could say Chinese or Asian food or spicy food. And we have all these DAGs on each of these dishes that we have in the database. So by the way, Menuet mm -hmm. only works in Austin, Texas and Kathmandu, Nepal right now. In Austin, Texas, we have about 15, 1600 dishes, right? Wow. Initially, yes. We have, you know, and, and, and you may ask me like, okay, how do you determine if a dish is good or not? We determine if a dish is good or not based on the local food bloggers who are the local subject matter experts about dishes. So for example, if I am listing sushi on Menuet, then I have referred to somebody named Sushi Girl ATX because she is the expert, sushi expert in Austin, <laughs> right? Or if I'm listing tacos, then I am referring to some of the uh, you know, taco uh, connoisseurs in Austin, you know, who are blogging about tacos. Mm -hmm. So that's, we do all the legwork for you, just like Google does all the legwork and tags all these things and makes it indexed, it. right? We do that work for you. So, so basically you combine those incredible insights from group, uh, food bloggers, which are experts in certain subjects for each category. Exactly. And then combine those data, integrate with the apps. So then for user, whatever he or she is located based on location in Austin and can search that particular full items and then that uh, recommendation will come up based on those data. Exactly. So there is another major difference between other apps and Menuet. Menuet is completely visual. When you first load this app, oh, you, yes. will, you will see this beautiful wall called, called the food wall. We call it the food wall, public food wall. So on this food wall, you see all of the, you know, uh, uh, pictures of it's like a Pinterest yes. almost, you know, and you can just scroll and keep scrolling and scrolling, you know, all these beautiful, you know, delicious looking pictures of food. And those, you know, that food wall is prioritized by your location. We also plan. I can testify, guys. Yeah. The food wall look really delicious. So every time I talk to staff, I'm just hungry afterwards. <laughs> so I, I guess we've accomplished our purpose, you know. And then also the food there wall. You go. 
what we want to do eventually is that we want the app to learn about who you are. What are you looking at? If you're looking at, let's say, Asian dishes more and searching for Asian dishes more means you like yes, Asian dishes. Me. So we will, we will <laughs> prioritize that wall to show you the Asian dishes near you before anything else. Yes. Because it's now it needs, it's, it's like customized to who you are as a person. Also, let's say, for example, Love the it. weather is like hot or, or rainy or, you know, gloomy and stuff. You may or people in general may prefer certain types of food when it's like raining, maybe soup when it's cold, you know? Mm -hmm. So we will prioritize mm -hmm. that on the food wall. So there is a machine learning aspect of it that we're working wow. on. Um, you know, that's going to make you the really? app more better. I, I love, I love Safers for your passion to food and passion for user experience and you truly treat this, um, this business as art. Obviously, art combined with the science, with all the incredible data inside you're able to have, but truly, it's a beautiful art that you trying to orchestra to make the best uh, user experience. That's so beautiful. I'm so inspired. Thank you. And you knew, like, it's it's uh, it's it's not just me who is uh, you know who's making this possible, right? Without my team, without this incredible team that I have here, mm -hmm. all my advisors and and the team in Nepal as well, uh, you know, they made it all possible. <laughs> So let me tell you. I love you such a humble leadership. You are so incredible. <laughs> it is very, very true, though. So let me tell you one more thing about <laughs> Menuet, right? So with Menuet, like I said earlier, we have about 1,600 dishes so far. So that's the first phase of Menuet, right? And, and I have three different phases, distinct phases that, you know, I want to walk you through. So the first phase was, you know, the initial database, you know, the development of the app and getting the product ready itself, right? So that's the first phase. Second phase is the outreach phase where we're reaching out to local food bloggers and stuff. And we have this, you know, thing called channels inside Menuet. What channel really is, is a collection of dishes, right? And we have a collection, not just based on like, let's say food type, like, you know, I can search for like KFC, Korean fried chicken, and all the Korean fried chicken is gonna show up. You know, it's like a quick, quick uh, search. That's what it is, right? We also have challenge channels based on food bloggers. So now I can have a channel by, uh, let's say, ATX Eats and Treats, you know, she's a local food blogger. She can have a channel inside. And what this is doing is it's showing the users, right? If some user is like a fan of ATX uh, Eats and Treats, they can click on that channel and see all her recommendations, you know, that oh. she's doing. So not mm -hmm. only that, Whenever that result comes in based on her recommendations, unlike Instagram, which is always static, that gets mm -hmm. sorted by where you are, your, 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 your location. So if I were to search for, you know, if I were to go into the, that channel from Round Rock versus from Austin, you would see completely different results because of your location. Because I want to show you dishes as many of it. I want to show mm -hmm. you dishes that's close to you, not far away from you, right? Location needs to be, it needs to be location aware. Right. Having said that, so that's the second part. Right. Part of the second part is also the second phase is also that we encourage users to post dishes. So it is crowdsourced. So now when you as a user, you can go and discover this awesome restaurant that serves this awesome dish and you can add to the menu at database. So now there's two places you can add it to. Right. So when you post a dish, just like on Instagram, it goes to your profile. Right. And it stays on your profile. So if you have friends who follow you, you know, they can see exactly where you went to eat and what you got and they can go do the same thing. But if we think that that dish is really you know, worthy and really good, what we can do is we can click this one button and say approve. And now 
your dish goes into a pub into the also onto the public food wall it becomes visible on the public food wall what that means is that the entire population of menuet who is looking for dishes is going to see your dishes when they are in that area so now wow. you have directly helped I'm famous not just that you have directly helped <laughs> other people to find dishes that you love right so you're right. sharing so right now you know if i were to come to let's say a new town let's say you know somebody mm-hmm. comes to austin right and they're mm-hmm. trying to figure out okay where is the best place to go get barbecue or like you know best where where mm-hmm. can i find the best tacos i would know that one of the best tacos in austin is discada discada is one of the best ta- tacos in austin hands down but it's wow, a, okay. but it's like a you know like for lack of a better word it's like a tribal knowledge i know that but if that person who came to austin doesn't know me how is he going to find out about this cara tell me there is no way with menuet that's the problem it solves especially if you're new in town you fire up this app and you search for what what kind of food you are looking for right also you can look for, you can you can also search for a restaurant and what it does when you search for a restaurant name is that it shows you what are the dishes you are supposed to get at that restaurant what are the best dishes at that restaurant so you can search either by food or by category or by restaurant or you can search by you know a user you know if you follow a certain food blogger and see all the recommendations as well so it helps you find dishes find the most delicious dishes in numerous different ways okay wow you are so thoughtful sas all those different possibilities are all exist that's incredible yeah yeah it's 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 I, been such an awesome experience building this you know like to I, get feedback from users and to reiterate on the app and to try to make this experience as mm-hmm. beautiful and as useful as possible for our users yeah your your passion for sure shine through i think everyone who is listening right now probably is hungry and curious about that taco <laughs> restaurant and will go download the app as i did go look at all the incredible wall look at pick all these beautiful pictures and find a place to eat yeah so right now we only we have only um, the, the app for uh, iOS we're working on an android version and how you find this app is you go to the app store and you search you can search for find f i n d delicious food if you search for find delicious food there comes menuet and the, here's the, i'll 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 explain the word a little bit more So many ways. We can also include the link in the in the below. Oh, uh, great! Yes. So, yes. Yeah. So make it easier. Folks can just directly click it and then go to the the right spot. Right. So many ways. Actually, the word it's not a real word, but we came up yes, with this. Yeah, please explain. Yeah, we came up with this uh, word many ways. Uh, you know, because we'd heard of kitchen, right? Kitchen and kitchenette. Kitchenette is like a smaller kitchen. So menu is like a bigger menu it's an ugly menu because the menu is like you know every restaurant you go to there are all these words written but what you want to see is the pictures you eat with your eyes and also not everything on the menu is the must get kind of stuff right the must must have kind of stuff is only like a few things in the menu that every restaurant is known for making right the most awesome dishes at that restaurant but if you go to a restaurant and ask the person hey what should i get they'll be like oh everything because everything is so awesome and then they give you, <laughs> and then they give you the menu and you're reading through it and you don't know what the hell it is right you want to see it and then you're doing google search you know yelp search to see yes. what something looks like with menuet that's me with menuet if you go to a restaurant let's say you already go to the restaurant and you open up the app guess what appears on the very top of the food wall the dishes from that restaurant so you can just see oh, what it nice. looks like right because it, it's location aware so let's say you go to 
uh, culinary dropout, you know, in at the domain, and then you go sit there and then you wonder what you should get here. So you open up Menuit on the very top itself. It knows your location, so it shows you dishes from culinary dropout. Makes it really easy. That's awesome. Right? So the reason we call it Menuet is because not everything on the menu is something that you want to get. But here is the smaller menu, smaller version of the same menu that, you know, you should, that should be your menu, right? That should be personalized to you because those are the best stuff from the menu. That's why we call it Menuet. And then, you know, I call it <laughs> find delicious food, like a tagline, you know, like, you know how they say BMW ultimate driving machine. So it's like Menuet find delicious food. You know, that's, that's how we came up with that. I love yeah. that. You have so much passion for life, for food, for people. It's just so incredible, like perfect. Thank you. And, you know, we do this. I, I don't do this for myself because if I was doing this for myself, you know, just having an Excel sheet, you know, and, uh, you know, keeping a diary of the dishes that I like to eat would be enough. I want to solve this problem for other people out there, you know, um, and I want, you know, to for people to for your listeners to go out and give it a try, you know, give anyone a try. <laughs> yes. It's completely free. And also it's ad free. There is no ad in on menuet at all anywhere yes right? um, i will make sure include the link so folks can go check it out themselves the picture india really really amazing guys check it out and anyone you know any of your listeners if they want to provide feedback to to us you know to make the app better we welcome that you know they can re uh, reach me I, yes. I don't know if you're going to put my contact information but please you know if yes, you can no yeah you can put my email in and you know they can reach out to me anytime uh, and no we'll address problem. those issues I love that stuff. I love your passion. I love everything you do. You're just such, um, such a passionate researcher. You know, you have such a kind heart and problem solving as you really, um, you focus. Uh, if I can, I would love to switch gear a little bit. Sure. You know, along the way, we talked about you know how you first came to the United States, how you first decide your major and pick your path, and you explain your passion for uh, user experience. You know this. Um, a uh, humor, uh, human experience, um, the major, and then later the passion for food, and today the manuet. I was curious um, along the way. You know, does do you do, do you ever scared? Does a setback, does a failure ever get to you? Do you ever experience you know discouraged? Because it sounds like you always kind of moving forward, which is fascinating. But I'm just wanna, I'm just curious about your story and if there are any. Uh, setback that can share. Yeah, so <clears throat> I mean, yes, absolutely, right. There is uh, ups and downs in life. Um, as an international student, you know, I was always broke, not have money. Um, you know, struggled <laughs> to figure out, you know, um, what am I going to eat like tomorrow? You know, I've had situations like that. Um, oh wow! You know, and actually, uh, it's funny. Uh, when I got my uh, job at Dell, um, you know, I called Dell Mother Dell because it feeds me and my cats, you know, I have two cats, um, you know, so I call Dell Mother Dell because I'm so grateful and so thankful for giving me the job and, you know, uh, providing stability in my life, <clears throat> uh, you know, because after you have that stability, then you can think beyond that and, and do things that you're passionate about, right? Because if I am struggling to figure out how, how I'm going to pay my bills or how my, what am I going to eat tomorrow, then, you know, it's very difficult to uh, think beyond that and think about, oh, let's change the world and, and, and make an app or whatever, right? So first of all, you have to take care of yourself. So to all the founders, your listeners uh, out there, I want to tell them that 
um, you know, uh, it sounds like a, you know, such an inspirational story to say that, oh, I founded this and all that. But the truth is, you know, there is a lot of uh, struggles, you know, behind that. And there are certain things that you have to do, you know, to stabilize your life before you can focus. You can clearly think and focus on things you want to do that you're passionate about and your way of changing the world, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah, and, and grad school was also a very, you know, a struggle for me. Uh, a lot of people, you know, like get through it smoothly, I guess, but it was a lot of struggle for me because uh, it was it was very tough, right? It was it was long. It was like from 2003 till 2010, you know, going, being a student full time and, and putting your life on pause and, you know, not going out and, you know, having fun with your friends mm -hmm. when everybody's having fun. You know, it's it's it takes a lot of uh, perseverance to do all of that, right? Um, also, was there a moment that you questioned about your choice? Yeah, there were many moments I, I questioned about whether I should have done my PhD or not. How do you, you know? How do you pass it through? Well, I mean, you know, you take one day at a time. Uh, you tackle one problem at a time. Um, you know, and and you know, you know how they say in that movie, uh, "Just keep swimming." The the Finding Nemo. <laughs> it's very true. You have oh, I to. Love that. You have to just oh. keep swimming. There is no other way. So you know. Um, and, and, you know, like people look at, uh, you know, individuals like Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk and say, oh, wow, they're so successful and stuff. But guess what? Mm -hmm. They also have these stories, these struggles that they've gone through, right? When they were not famous, mm -hmm. when they were not, you know, uh, they didn't have this billion dollar company. They also started just like how Menuhit started, right? Maybe Menuhit will go somewhere. Maybe it won't. This will not be my last venture. This is not the only thing I'm going to do. But I'm going to keep trying to do the things that I like to do, which is look at a problem, break that problem down, mm -hmm. solve that problem through technology, right? So, and there will what be What gave you downs. this fire? What gave this fire that just, you know, it's very obvious to our listeners to learn that no problem will ever get in your way is, you know, either you fall, you're going to get that tomorrow and keep swimming going forward. You mentioned manual may be a great, amazing thing, or maybe not, but it will not stop you. Yeah, at least you'd have tried, right? Learn. Because think about this. Life is pretty short, like especially your, your, <laughs> the, the creative part of your life, right? Where you are creative, when you, where you, are, you can make an impact, when you can actually do something, right? It's, it's limited. Also, you know, the, the same thing that I was talking about earlier, I had that stability in my life, right, through Mother Dell. I, so now it, 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 I, I'm, I feel like I'm privileged to do more than just work, you know, daytime job, come back home, watch mm -hmm. Netflix, go to bed and rinse and repeat, right? I'm meant for much more than that. And if I don't do that now, yes. right, um, then when? If not now, then when? Right? <laughs> um, I can yes, uh, I can wait. second everything you said. Yeah, I can wait for this perfect opportunity to come, you know, when I start working on my startup or my idea. But guess what? Mm -hmm. It'll never come. You will have to make it come. Um, mm -hmm. The Menuet app also, right? There was, it's not like easy thing to go work full-time job, right? Um, and come back home, you know, and work till like two o'clock in the morning, you know, in your designs or uh, 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 coding discussions with the team in Nepal because it's a 12-hour difference. So when, mm -hmm. you know, it's nighttime here, it's their daytime working time there. So I get on calls even even today. I mean, I get on calls at night 
almost every night, you know, and go through design discussions, go through coding discussions with the team to fix all the bugs. So I'll tell wow. you this. So where we are at with Manuet is that it's a public beta right now. So you may find some bugs and all that, but we're trying to make this app an awesome experience for all of our users, right? So what I'm saying is that there's struggle in everything. There is no such thing as a magical success. You may look at Mark Zuckerberg or like Elon Musk and say that, oh, wow, they're so successful. How awesome for them. No, it's not awesome for them. They put in the work, you know, they stayed up mm -hmm. all night and worked hard, right? They persevered yes. through all of that. They didn't give up and say, oh, this is a big, pro too big of a problem. I'm just going to go curl into a little ball somewhere and give up. They didn't do that, mm -hmm. right? So why should I, right? You're for all of our fire. founders as well, you know, all of our, all of our, your listeners and all the other founders or potential founders as well, you know, work on your idea today, you know, like you don't need anyone else, you know, to get that started, to get to a point where you need other people. You know, the same thing that I mm -hmm. talked about, if you want to go quick, go alone, go do your mm -hmm. homework, go do what you need to do right now, right? Before you get involved, I... you involve other people and, and try to make it, uh, you know, go further, take it to a point mm -hmm. where you can take it. I agree. And one thing I want to comment is, you know, Chinese uh, proverb, there's one saying that the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. The second best time to plant a tree is now. Correct. And it's never going to be a perfect timing. I'll remember that, if, actually. You know, any like of that. you who's listening, who want to start a project, start a business, start running a marathon, start working out, start um, learn how to bake, today is the best day. Right. And, you know, the most important thing when is um, is that don't force yourself to do something. Right. If you're not passionate about creating an app or creating a product, don't do what you're passionate about, because number one thing is that it requires your passion. If it feels like was work passion, to you, then don't do was it. Passion always, was passion always easy come to you, Seth? I'm curious, because it sounds like along the way, your path is very straightforward. You kind of just follow your heart directly. Was it always easy for you? Do you have any suggestions um, for both to maybe still finding their passion? So see, like, you know, you have to introspect and see what you like first, right? For me, it was always about human behavior. Back to, the, back to my roots, understanding how people mm -hmm. behave, human, human behavior, human emotions, human reactions, right? Those were my... Um, founding uh those were my foundations that's my core right and then technology mm -hmm. is just another aspect of it another lens to look at something right lens to look at a problem mm -hmm. and how to solve that problem so for me it was kind of like i would say it was easy because i really realized you know when i was very young what i was passionate about and what i cared deeply about right um but for some people it might be an experimentation in the sense that well you don't know mm -hmm. how you like it if you have never tried it right uh, mm -hmm. If you have never tried, let's say, uh, KFC, I keep bringing KFC. I think I'm craving KFC <laughs> subconsciously. Korean fried chicken, not the KFC. Korean fried chicken. If yes, you've never tried yes. Korean fried chicken, how are you going to know if you're going to like it or not? Right? You've got to expand your, mm -hmm. your, your uh, uh, horizon. You have to mm -hmm. uh, experiment. You have to be open-minded. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, and you have to be able yes. to accept possibilities. If you don't accept possibilities, it will never happen. So let me, uh, when can I switch gear? Because we have uh, yes, uh, very you know, few minutes left. I want to switch gear and talk about my nonprofit a little bit, right? So Yes, I'm going to ask you that. Yes, um, please. So, so again, nonprofit, uh, working for a nonprofit and, and uh, you know, um, looking at it from the lens of social work, uh, 
has never been my passion, was not my passion, right? And this is something that I discovered uh, along the way, right? Um, and, so and, actually, and, and actually accidentally. So how it came about is that um, a huge uh, earthquake struck Nepal uh, in 2015, I believe, right? So mm -hmm. uh, we were all here, me, me and my friends, my family, um, and, you know, there was a massive destruction of life and of, uh, uh, you know, um, of all the different uh, places, you know, that I had connected with as I was growing up, right? Different temples, you know, oh. different structures and all that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And ma by massive uh, loss of life, I mean like 10,000 plus, 15,000 plus lives, right? Wow. So this was a 7.8 mm -hmm. uh, rector scale earthquake followed by a 7.4 and thousands of aftershocks, right? So lives of wow. people were disrupted. Um, kids did not get to go to school because their school was destroyed. There were no mm -hmm. hospitals. People's lives, you know, their homes were destroyed, right? They didn't have a mm -hmm. place to sleep. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, shortly after that followed the monsoon season when there was like raining, people didn't have clothes, people didn't have food. So we thought that we, well, number one is that we felt very guilty that we are here living our comfortable lives, being so privileged. You know, while people, you know, in Nepal who are our countrymen, my countrymen are suffering and going through this. Right. So we mm -hmm. wanted to do something to address that situation. So um, and there was a lot of emotional response from a lot of uh, Nepali people living in in, uh, in the U.S. and elsewhere. Right. We call it ne Nepali diaspora. Uh, so there was mm -hmm. a large outpouring of support from everybody in terms of uh, collecting funds and, you know, sending the funds to Nepal and all that. But we wanted to do it a little bit differently. Number one was that we didn't want to just collect fund for the sake of collecting fund. We wanted to make sure that those funds would be used properly in proper projects. And, I love and that. we would be two things, accountable and transparent. Right? Those were the two mm -hmm. major things that we wanted to make sure that we were abiding by. Number mm -hmm. two is that we didn't want to reinvent the wheel, meaning that we didn't want to go do everything on our own, try to accomplish everything on our own and, you know, um, do it for our name's sake. You know, oh, Sav did this or all that. So what we did is we created this flat structure in our organization that, uh, you know, nobody's name is really associated with that. It's Nepal Rising. It's the, the, the mission is what's more important than the name, right? Tell us about mission. Our mission is uh, three phases. Uh, number one is relief. So when the earthquake happened, obviously, relief is much more important, right? Providing people food, providing people electricity, providing people uh, some sort of shelter. That's more important. Mm -hmm. The second is rebuilding. So, you know, if your school is broken, you know, um, you don't have any community center to, uh, to go to, then, you know, learning and all that kind of things don't happen, right? Uh, rebuilding also is like, you know... Um, uh, creating the infrastructure that you need for other things to uh, be possible. So we built, uh, Nepal Rising, we built eight different schools, uh, physical structures wow. <clears throat> in different parts of Nepal. Right? So that's the second part. The third part is resilience, you know, because we, we believe in this model called ABCD. ABCD stands for Asset-Based Community Development, right? So there is another... Can you tell us more? Yes, absolutely. So the, the other... Uh, school of thought in in uh, in social work is need based. So, for example, I you know as a donor come into a community, I pour my resources, I distribute money, or I give them food, which is the relief phase, right? 
But I, I, I just stop at that. Then what that does, it creates dependency in the community. The community is always mm -hmm. like, you know, spreading their hand and asking and begging, right? But our idea was that we're not going to do that. We're going to utilize the asset and enable them to help themselves. For example, <clears throat> we have created women entrepreneurship programs. We funded those programs. We have done um, skilled training programs for, you know, for the community. We've done uh, community farming projects so that they can farm, they can eat, they can sell, right? So now we're giving them skill sets, right? That will enable them to sustain themselves in the longer run, right? And we don't so always beautiful. have to keep pouring, pouring resources into that community. The other things that we're doing is that, all right, we built the school building, but the school building doesn't determine the quality of education that the kids get, right? So we have to increase, we have to invest in the capacity building of teachers, right? Because if the teacher has the capacity to, uh, to be more resilient, to teach uh, the students in newer ways, then we can be more effective in you know, up, you know, uplifting the community, right? So that's the resilience phase that those three, three phased approach that, that we work, work in. Mm -hmm. and, and as I was saying, you know, we don't do this all on our own. The reason is that it is not possible for us to do all of that on our own. We are all volunteer-based organization. 100% of the money that we collect goes into the community, right? No other organization can say that. If you go to www.nepalrising.org, you will see each penny accounted for in our finances. We not only show you, you know, what money we have raised, how much money we have raised, how we have raised it, but we also show you disbursement of each penny onto in which project they went to. Very, that's very awesome. detailed. And I we don't will, think we any organization can say that. Yes. That's incredible. That's, uh, we will put the link below. I love that you have such a beautiful heart and passion. So today, uh, Seth, if folks wanted to support you on the nonprofit aspect, how can they support you? So let me rewind back one more from that and then tell you something that we're doing today, right? Okay. So COVID-19 has hit the entire world, right? It's become a pandemic. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and, you know, there are problems in the U.S. You know, we're facing issues here. But at the same time, you know, um, we are, you know, I don't want to compare, but I think that it's, it's hitting hard in communities like Nepal, where, you know, the... Um, the stability, the financial stability wasn't there in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. hitting those hard. So, you know, the, uh, some of the sources of income from Nepal has always been about remittance because we send a lot of people, you know, in the Gulf and all that for labor work um, and also tourism. And guess what? Both of them have stopped, right? Oh. So there's a lot of financial hardship that's happening in Nepal right now. Mm -hmm. um, also, you know, when you think about the infrastructure in Nepal, Nepal is a third world country. We don't have the hospital facilities, the mm -hmm. testing capabilities uh, that other nations uh, may have, right? Mm -hmm. So Nepal Rising is, is working with local organizations there, and we always work with local organizations who are experts in that area, who are working in the grassroots level. That's what I meant by we don't try to reinvent the wheel. We partner mm -hmm. with effective partners, right, to do our work. So now we're working with uh, working on uh, lots of different projects we are working on a food relief project because there are people going hungry because they don't have any money to buy food right so oh. that again that same cycle of relief rebuilding resilience right now we're also working with um, 
um, you know, different organizations in Nepal, you know, biomedical organizations to provide PPEs, you know, to provide not only PPEs, but PPE training as to how you should, um, you know, properly use a PPE, right? Uh, we're also getting diagnostic kits for testing, um, you know, from Singapore and other countries uh, so that people can get tested. Um, we're working uh, on, a, on an app, uh, on an Android app, actually is in the market right now, uh, to uh, do uh, tracing, contact tracing, you know, so that we figure out if somebody's infected, then who all they have come into contact with. And we're working with the local government, you mm -hmm. know, to, to get this app implemented in Nepal. Right? Wow. Um, so these and many projects. So if you go to nepalrising.org and the very first banner that you see, you can click on cl learn more. And you can read about all of the different projects that we're working on right now. So for the COVID effort, uh, we've raised about $40,000 so far. And actually, all of them have been dispersed. Um, you know, all that money, we, we've dispersed all of that money. Uh, so we're looking for, you know, more uh, funding to uh, support uh, mm -hmm. the, the ongoing projects and also new projects that we may have in the future. Right. We're working with uh, so some of our partners. Uh, we're working with... Uh, uh, this individual named Scott Delisi, who used to be, um, you know, uh, uh, ambassador, U.S. ambassador to Nepal, um, also to Uganda, but he also has an organization called Engage Nepal. Uh, so we're partnering with him on a lot of different projects, and we were co-funding a lot of different projects uh, together. We also have uh, actually uh, Miss Nepal 2019-2020 uh, um, is our country ambassador uh, for Nepal. Uh, so we're working with her as well, and she has brought up some very innovative ideas. Um, one of the things that we are looking into right now of being involved in is uh, mental health, because mental health seems to be a, a very uh, urgent issue in Nepal. I'm sure here as well, right? But the numbers are staggering in the sense that there are more people being killed by suicide and mental health issues in Nepal right now than COVID-19 cases, right? So that's something that we wanna, uh, we wanna address. So whether that be, you know, uh, funding for a 24-hour hotline, um, you know, wow. so that people have an ability to call and talk to somebody if they're having societal tendencies, you know. Uh, and, and we're also thinking about building an app, you know, that connects, um, wow. you know, the, the counselors with the clients, right? And right now we connected with this one group called The Missing Counselor. She's on Instagram. Um, her name is Nishma and she's a... A psychology student in Nepal, and she started this initiative on Instagram uh, to address, you know, the mental health issue in Nepal. And I you know, like uh, just like here, mental health issue is like a little, bit, little bit of a uh, a topic of a stigma. So people mm -hmm. don't uh, readily, um, uh, you know, want to seek help when they are facing some mental issues, you know, a mental health issues or depression or something like that, right? <clears throat> because mm -hmm. it's been stigmatized. So Nishma is working in Nepal. Uh, to destigmatize, destigmatize that, and also mm -hmm. to uh, facilitate a conversation between a counselor and a client who may be in need of, uh, you know, mental health services. Right. So I we're starting to work with her as well uh, to to bring up this uh, to build this infrastructure for providing mental health in Nepal. So yeah, I mean, you know, any amount we don't think that any amount is too less of an amount. Um, you know, our, your listeners have worked very hard for their money. And, you know, there are so many different causes that they can, uh, you know, contribute to and support. But if you do support Nepal Rising, you know, by going to nepalrising.org, 
uh, we would greatly appreciate it. Any amount is really helpful to make a difference in the people, uh, in the lives of people in Nepal. Yes, and I'll make sure I include a link below um, so folks who are um, open um, can go to the link and do make a donation. And Thank Seth, you, no, one thing I love about your story is, you know, after this point, different thing that you did, you do along the way. It's just so incredible. You are such a conscious and thoughtful leader. I realize whatever thing you do, you always give it your hundred percent. You don't just say, "Okay, I start a nonprofit organization." <clears throat> Check. You actually thoughtfully think through all the aspects of things need to be helped and um, really leverage your strengths and then grassroots approach, leverage the the folks in different level and really corral everyone together to moving the project forward. I'm just so inspired by amount of dedication, amount of thoughtfulness you have in everything you do. Well, thank you so much. And but I want to circle back to the thing I started saying. You know, when we started talking to, uh, today, is that I'm a pretty average person, right? And the reason I say that is because I think a lot of people, a lot of your listeners, also have the capacity, you know, to do good things, right? To to see the world beyond their own wants and needs. And see how they can make a positive impact in other people's lives, right? So that's why I say I'm pretty average because I feel like every other person is also capable of doing、uh, similar things in their own ways, you know, as I am doing. I'm just paving my own path, right? And everybody、that's、is、so、capable of paving their path、uh, to make a difference in the world. But what I will say is that you know it's very easy to you know get into the routine of like you know having your daytime job, you know, coming back home. Making dinner, watching Netflix, you know, drinking with your friends and all that.、Uh, but you have to also see that you know、uh, we are extremely privileged, you know, to be in the situations that we are in. You know, to、mm-hmm. not have to worry about a lot of things. But a lot of people in the world are not, right?、Um, so if we can do, if we can dedicate, let's say, two percent of our time, two percent of the money we have, right,、mm-hmm. to helping those people and enabling those people to help themselves, rather, right. Uh, then we can make a much broader impact、uh, in the lives of you know of, of of people around us, right? In our communities, and I'm not saying go help people in Nepal. You don't have to help your neighbor, help your friend, you know, mentor、mm-hmm. somebody, right? Go volunteer at a local nonprofit here, you know, donate food to a food bank, you know, go、uh, spend time at the animal shelter. There are so many different ways of making a difference, you know. But you always have to think how privileged you are. And、mm-hmm. you know, you also have to remember that you have the capacity to make a difference in the world. That's why I am a very average person because any other average person can also do what I am doing. I I love love that stuff. I love that you're able to、um, really trying to、uh, tell us that we all can do this. And I a hundred percent agree with everything you said. I every. Every second of me living, I felt I'm so grateful. The fact that I felt for me come along the way in America and today living relatively comfort and、um, happy life, I felt so grateful to so fortunate having those peace and、um, and <clears throat> comfort. And it is therefore it is my responsibility to make the step forward to inspire to make the world a better place. I every day think about that as this is my mission, and I love you just literally. Put the word in the mouth, and I was like, "Wow, this is something I was thinking. I love that." <laughs> yeah, when thank you for allowing me to share my story, right? Because I think,、uh, um, you know, you know, a lot of people, you know, can、um, 
I guess, listen to this and, and uh, introspect in their own lives and see uh, different positive ways they can, they can uh, influence the world, right, in their own ways. Also, one thing that I would want to say is that I listened to your episode, you know, where you were talking about your journey, you know, from China um, <laughs> to the U.S. And, you know, one thing that is common, right, if not more, uh, one important thing that's common in your story and in mine, in the one that I'm telling, is the is the story of uh, perseverance, right? Whatever you do, you need to do it with with your full heart, right? If you yes. do something half-hearted, don't waste your time. Don't do it. No, don't, no, no. Right? But if you do something, put your full heart and, and your full mind into it, full focus onto it, right? Uh, that's very, very important because uh, without passion, without truly believing in what you're doing, uh, mm-hmm. You will not be able to, it will show, it will, you will not be able to do those things well. I agree. I love jumping both feet. I think that's just so much fun than if you have LinkedIn and just want to give it a shot or not really. It's not fun that way anyway. Yeah. I, I really love that about um, you, Steph. You have such a, such a high awareness of who you are and the world around you. I, I just so admire you. And I want to ask you one last thing, Steph, if I may. What does sure. American dream mean for you? Since you mentioned <clears throat> about my story and how I came here, and I just thought of yours and love to hear what's your thoughts on that. Yeah, so American dream is like saying um, delicious food. You know, it's very subjective. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it back to many ways, you know. It's very subjective. Um, you know, American dream for somebody might be, uh, you know, just finding a, you know, getting educated, you know, living a, a, a middle-class life, you know, where you don't have to worry about, you know, the basic necessities. Um, you know, American dream um, for somebody like uh, Elon Musk might be, you know, changing the path of humanity, right? Yes. Um, changing the car industry, you know, uh, taking, uh, dreaming about uh, making this human species a multi-planet species, right? That's his dream. Yes. You know, he's also yes. from, he's also... Uh, not from here, right? He's, he immigrated from uh, South Africa. Right. Um, so, you know, American dream is what you inspire to be, right? It's it's actually your personal dream and your personal journey and the amount of effort, uh, the perseverance that you are willing to show, right? To me, an American dream is, well, number one, to, to, to have a comfortable life so that I can, I'm enabled to do other things, right? Not to have a comfortable life so I can be lazy and not do anything, but have a comfortable life so it enables me to do other things, right? To, to, to make more positive changes in the world, to make my impact, right? And by, me, by, by my impact, what I really mean is impact in the lives of other people. I'm not important. Those people are. The people that you know, I want to uplift, right? Those are the important people. That's my American dream, you know? Wow. Um, so everybody have to, they, they have to define their life. They have to define their dreams, right? And as long as it's something positive, as long as it's, it's something um, you're doing selflessly, right? Um, that, I, I would say, qualifies, you know, as, a, as an American dream because what it is representing an American dream is about, you know, a dream of positivity, a dream of a positive mm-hmm. influence, you know, a dream of uh, positive impact, right? A mm-hmm. dream of uh, uh, collaboration. Um, that's the dream that I see, you know, that I think of when I, when I think of American dream. Wow, Saf. Wow, you dropped the mic right there. 
<laughs> it is just so beyond incredible to today have you on the journey and show,、um, you know, walk us through really how you get here, all the amazing things you did along the way, and today what inspired you. It's really obvious to me and all of us. To recognize that you have such a beautiful, beautiful heart, you truly want to make the world a better place, and you are you are in the way to become so much bigger than anything I can ever imagine. So I am so honored to have you once again. Thank you so much, Sav. This is so beyond honor, and I am so grateful for all of you, for your story, for your full authenticity, and all the perseverance you have. Today, Warren, thank you for talking to me and allowing me to connect with your users and you know with your、uh, listeners and and tell my story. And I I hope you know even if there is you know one person who listens to this and you know makes the dive into doing something that they are passionate about,、uh, then I would say you know this conversation is a successful conversation. Yes, yes, for sure. So thank you again. Thank you, everyone. Really appreciate you tuning today. Thank you so much, Seth. I hope you all have a beautiful, beautiful day, and I cannot wait to see you guys next time. Bye, guys. Bye.